And I'm Rami. And this is Workplace Hugs, a podcast where we talk about interesting things we've read or heard and how it relates to the workplace experience. Our goal here is very simple, to expand our toolkit with a whole lot of empathy, but without a whole new degree. We purposely talk about things in different scenarios. First, we're going to hit it at the very high level. Then we'll talk about how we've experienced it at the lowest levels. And lastly, we'll share some ways that you can take this back into your own workplace experience. I think the big thing here is we are uh, bibliophiles. We read a lot of books. <laughs> and this is a good way for you to kind of get the learnings from those books without having to read them. And if you find them interesting enough, you should definitely read them. Uh, but this way you can kind of learn all the things that we find interesting in those books and apply them without needing to read the book. Well said. Rami, introduce yourself. Tell us about you. Yes, I'm Rami Gibran. I'm in Los Angeles, California. I've uh, worked in all sizes companies from large to small, usually in newly developed roles. Uh, I'm basically the person at your office who you know does a bunch of different things, but you're not really sure what they do or what department they're in. I got my MBA a few years ago, and since then I've been working in smaller startups, trying to get into roles where I can be perpetually curious and build things out. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Uh, And I am Shannon Schottler. I'm an executive coach based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I spent the first 10 years of my career working in four different Fortune 300s, one of those where I got to meet the the lovely Rami. Uh, I did a variety of roles when I was there. Sales, inventory, supply chain, you name it. I probably did it. A few years ago, though, I set the corporate life aside, favoring the flexibility found in entrepreneurship. And now I am coaching, consulting, contracting, and podcasting all the yes. long day. Yes. Okay, so Shannon, this is a book that you read. It's called Crucial Conversations. Yeah. All right, walk us through it. Okay, it's by four people. I'm not even going to pretend to remember their last names, but I'm sure look it up on Amazon, Crucial Conversations, you'll find it right away. So the book defines crucial conversations as dialogue between two or more people with three key factors. First, opposing opinions. Second, strong emotions. And third, the stakes are high. Rami. That sounds so intense. It's intense. Have you been in crucial conversations before, Rami? Yeah, and I'm terrified of them (laughs) what tell me more why are you terrified opposing opinions strong emotions and stakes are high that sounds like everything that i want to avoid you know it's fascinating because as i was preparing for this podcast i was reflecting on our ben franklin podcast and debating and so i would think like you were really keen on debating and so i would think you'd be like all for it i yeah you're right i i'm not so averse to them i think the hard part is it's the if it if it happens without much planning, I'm all for it. I think if the time that leads up to it gives me a lot of anxiety. I gotcha. Well, here we are about to have a crucial conversation. <laughs> all right. So walk us through the key principles. I think you mentioned there were seven. Yes, there are seven key principles. Number one, start with heart. And what that means is really to focus on what you really want to have happen. Uh, we'll talk about each of these in more detail. So we'll just kind of hit them at the really high level right now. The second one, learn to look, watch out for when these conversations start to become crucial so that you can number three, make it safe by finding some mutual purpose and making sure that you have mutual respect with the individuals that you're in this crucial conversation with. Number four, mastering your own stories and making sure that you can distinguish between what the facts are And what the stories might be that you are, the stories I think of is like how you're making meaning out of the facts. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So it's like, if I'm 
what my favorite quote from uh, uh, what's his name? Don't let the the facts get in the way of telling a good story. Hmm. Yes, but I think crucial conversations would say no. Which, That's what I'm saying. So, like, master my stories is really about the facts versus the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And being the master of your, making sure that you can distinguish between the two. Because if you're thinking your story is the facts, that's when I think strong emotions come out, like, even stronger. Okay. Number, what are we on, five? State my path. This is where you begin to share your facts and stories. Then number six, explore other paths. So making sure you are talking tentatively and asking others to share their paths, their facts, their stories. And then the last step is moving to action, making sure you're finishing the crucial conversation clearly. Rami. Okay, so I think I've got that overview. Uh, We start with heart. We learn to look. We make it safe. We master our stories. State your path. Explore the others' paths. And then you move to action. So let's hop in. Let's get to the dirt level here. Yeah, let's do it. So starting with heart. Again, this is about focusing on what you really want. And they recommend that you kind of think about this in three questions. First, what are you acting like you really want? Second, what do you really want both for yourself, for others, and for the relationship? And third, how would you behave if you really wanted those particular results? I think this one's interesting. And it takes a lot of foresight to say, what do I really want for myself, for others, and for this relationship? And then how would I behave if I wanted those true results? So it's kind of like, how do you set yourself in the right mindset to go into a conversation? Yeah, I really think about this one as almost preparing for the crucial conversation, particularly in that second question of really reflecting on, okay, what do I really want here? What do I really want for them, for me, for the relationship before you get in there? Yeah, it's like the question of what does success look like after this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So that's starting with heart. Yeah. Then we learn to look. Yes, we learn to look for when the conversation becomes crucial. So I kind of think about this in two buckets. First is internally. So looking for what the book calls your own style under stress. And the two types of styles that you might go to are silence or violence. They have a handy dandy quiz that I think you and I both took before yes. this to learn our styles. So should we talk about how often, so the two parts are how often do you move towards silence and then how often do you move towards violence? Mm-hmm. So they ask you, I don't know, 45 questions or something to say like, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? How would you treat this? How do you treat that? And then it kind of breaks you down. So um, I can go first. So for me, moving towards silence, I had, they give you three uh, different categories. The lower you score, the better, the higher Uh, the more likely you are to do those things. Uh, For silence, it's masking, avoiding, and withdrawing. I got a one for masking, zero for avoiding, and two for withdrawing. How did you score? So I thought it was so funny when we both shared our pictures because they're nearly identical. So I scored a one for masking, a one for avoiding, and a one for withdrawing. But Rami, like full disclosure here, I really am a withdrawer. So I think I masked my own results. (laughs) on this quiz a little bit. I think so I should we raise masking and withdrawing and maybe lower avoiding for you? <laughs> maybe, I guess, I guess. Literally just even this past weekend, uh, my husband and I were driving somewhere and I started withdrawing from the conversation. It wasn't even like that big of a deal, but he acknowledged it. He's like, you're withdrawing right now. What, like, how do I need to make you feel safe again? Yeah, we <laughs> got we to bump that score up, I think. <laughs> Your withdrawing score. If people are calling you out on it, then I think... It yeah, should go up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. that Those are really the three pieces of like how you 
go towards silence and then let's talk about moving towards violence so this is really just like the three pieces are controlling labeling and attacking so it's really those are the three that break down into violence Mm -hmm. uh i scored one for controlling zero for labeling one for attacking how did you score same one for controlling zero for labeling one for attacking which means that we're pretty low on the violence score we are very low on the violence score. Do you know anyone that's really violent? Yes. <laughs> in their communication? Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, he is one of those guys when he comes towards me, I get my voice as loud as possible and, and know that that's the only way that he and I are going to have a conversation. Whoa, that is intense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He Like he comes at me sometimes and I know what he's going to ask me. And I will just start cursing at him and tell him to leave me alone. Wow. And it, I, I honestly wouldn't treat a single person that way. And I tried not treating him that way and he doesn't, uh, he doesn't absorb it. So. Wow. The other thing I was curious about here is, do you think that there can be like an underlying culture in a company of like going towards silence or violence? Absolutely. I think there from, from the stories that I've heard about a lot of, uh, companies that my friends have worked at that are more uh korean mm-hmm. i'm not going to call out korean but i'm going to because that's what i know and from my you, examples you just did yeah <laughs> and, and I, I said it twice now so uh i just know that those are companies where they will put you on the spot and it's really high intensity mm-hmm. and so i think there's a lot of they're very high towards the the violence piece of the attacking the labeling and the controlling and I know that for the people that I know that work there, that gave them a ton of stress because you kind of always had to be really alert and, and attacking at all points and defending. And it was mostly like you try to take other people down so that you don't go down. Wow. So as the audience might remember, Rami and I worked for the same company at one point in our careers. What do you think that company's culture was? Our giant big uh, bullseye company. Yeah, our giant big bullseye company. <laughs> Were they a silence or violence? I think way more silence, but I think it also is like, is that the style of most companies in the Midwest? That's a great question. I've only worked. Oh, wow. That's interesting to reflect on. I've only worked for companies that are headquartered in the Midwest. Uh, I guess one was headquartered in the UK. And that was probably the most direct culture that I worked in. Their North American headquarters were in New Jersey. And it was definitely a different culture. Yeah. So do you think it's a Midwest stereotype? I think it could be. I think it really could be. At the company that we both worked, I would say within like the sub styles of silence, masking is what I felt like I saw the most. It was just, you know, put on the rose colored glasses, or the red colored glasses and drink, <laughs> drink the Kool-Aid and mask, mask, mask. Business is great. Find a way to Absolutely. spin it. Tell the story, pitch it. But I think that might be like a Midwest approach where I think an East Coast approach for the friends that I've had work over there and for the companies I've interacted with, it's much more, uh, it's a low, they're much less akin to silence Mm -hmm. and they're much more akin to violence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Violence sounds like they're like beating each other up. It's not it. I think it's just like you're much more willing to like be attacking. Yes. Yep. Agree. So... We kind of talked about first knowing your own style. So we'll 
link to that quiz in the show notes for you to take it for yourself if you're interested. So that's the internal element of learning to look. But then there's also the external element of looking for safety problems with the people that you're having a conversation with. Are they moving towards silence or violence? Yeah. And I think the thing that we kind of talked about before this, which was start with heart, it's what do you want the outcome to be? And can you get there with those people? And how do you set them up to have it, right? A lot of people need to be kind of warmed up to a crucial conversation. And you kind of even, at least in my experience, I've had to say like, hey, like we need to talk about this thing. Like I'm going to give you some time to think about that thing. And then later we're going to talk about that thing. So that doesn't feel like I'm attacking or I'm kind of driving it. I I have something that we need to talk about, but you need time to kind of think about that so that we can both be in a safe space and talk about it. Yeah. That's a great example. And of course, you know, the podcast is obviously called Workplace Hugs, but I find that these principles apply to any conversation in your personal life too. And that was something I feel like I learned the hard way as an adult of how to talk to my parents, that I had to breadcrumb trail it to them to make for a safe environment once a conversation got crucial. (laughs) Yes. And I think that's our next bullet point here is making it safe. Yeah, yeah. So if you find that there is a safety problem... There's a couple things that you can do to work to restore safety again. Safety is really built out of two factors, making sure you have a mutual purpose and mutual respect. A couple of things you can do to restore safety. Sorry, before we restore it. So I think let's hit on those again. So it's mutual purpose and mutual respect. And I think that's where going into a conversation like this, you have to be very clear and set boundaries and say, I want to talk about X and This is what I want to talk about it within this realm and within this realm alone so that you can make sure that it doesn't get to places that maybe kind of places that you wouldn't have safety for either you or the other person that you're talking to. And it's really good to set those boundaries and align on that right away from the beginning. Yeah. Whether that happens in a pre-conversation, if you will, or at the front end of the conversation. Okay. So how do we restore safety if we've lost it? First thing first, apologize. If you have clearly violated respect, just say you're sorry. Pretty straightforward. The second thing that you can do, and this is something that was a big takeaway for me from the book, is contrasting to fix misunderstandings. So what this looks like is saying like an I don't statement with an I do statement. Literally, I just did this last week with uh, a a person on my contract job of just saying, uh, I don't want you to think that I don't respect you. I do want to get to a place where we can both be empowering of each other or something like that. That was kind of a bad example, but you get the idea. Yeah. It's mostly like laying the groundwork to say like, look, I'm not, I'm not attacking you. I want us to kind of get to the same place. Yes. So then the last thing that you can do is to create a mutual purpose. And sometimes here you might have to invent one or go to a higher level to get there. So for example, The example that they give in the book is that you may not agree on whether or not you should take the promotion with your spouse, but what you can agree on is that the needs of your relationship and your children might come before career aspirations. That makes sense. I think when you and I were kind of talking about this earlier, it's if you have to talk to someone about agreeing on something and it's like, oh, maybe we can't agree at the low level. Maybe we can't agree at the medium level. But I think both of us can agree that we want to be successful as a company. And if that's the level you have to bring it up to, yes, bring it up to that level. Because if you can't bring it up to 30,000 feet and agree, then you there, there's no point in even conversing, I guess. Exactly. Exactly. 
Okay, so then let's get into mastering my stories. Mm-hmm. So if you find that strong emotions are keeping you stuck, really try to slow down the conversation and slow down yourself and retrace what we would call your path to action. So you can begin to separate what are the facts from your story a little bit. So for the path to action, picture an arrow, but we're going to go backwards in reverse. So an arrow on your page left to right, we're going to start with what's at the end of the arrow. That's the point, the point, the tip the point, of the arrow. The tip. Yes. The, that is the act section. So first noticing your behavior and asking yourself, am I in some form of silence or violence? Then we move a little further up the arrow and check out our feelings. What emotions are encouraging you to act in that way? So maybe you're feeling threatened. Then going back to your story, what story might be creating that feeling of being threatened? This person doesn't respect me. Uh, this person is attacking me. This person will not listen to what I have to say no matter what and might fire me if they disagree with me. <laughs> and then we go back up to the facts, things that you can actually see and hear. So retracing that a little bit and making sure that you're separating what can you actually see in here versus what is the story or the meaning that you are making out of the facts. And I think the important thing here is if it if strong emotions are keeping you stuck, right? So yeah. if there aren't strong emotions keeping you stuck, you may not need to go through this entire process yep. to have that conversation. It's just if you know that you get really worked up about that topic that you're going to have the conversation about, then you need to kind of break it down and, and, and look at your behavior, see what emotions are driving it, what's causing those emotions, and then getting back to the facts and being able to tell that in a more level-headed perspective so that it doesn't seem like you have, you're overly emotionally connected to it. Yeah. And honestly, though, Rami, I would say that even if emotions aren't in play, thinking through the path to action can be helpful for you. So in the example that you gave of maybe the mutual purpose that you've aligned on has to be so 30,000 feet because you can't mm -hmm. find one at the lower level, that the mutual purpose you've aligned on is we both want our company to be successful. But the story on how to achieve success might look very different between the two of you. You might think, well, success is X, Y, and Z thing. And the other person might have a very different story on what success looks like for that company. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't think about it that way. That's interesting. Especially if you're going that high level. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, for, I'm just thinking like, so for you, success might be like a triple bottom line approach. Like you're caring about the environment, you're caring about profits, and you're caring about people. Um for another person, they might not care at all about the environment and their story about what success looks like might only be profits. So keeping the path to action in mind and making sure that you are, we're going to get to this next, but like stating your path, that's the next where we're headed to break out what are your facts versus your story and then giving the other person the opportunity to do that too. But in this part, you're just trying to discern your own first. So does this have to do with making sure that you have a mutual purpose? And if the mutual purpose isn't specific enough, is it maybe blocking out what the mutual purpose is for each party? It can be. I mean, mutual purpose definitely falls in the step of making it safe. But I just wanted to make sure that we're expanding that path to action to that the path to action can be leveraged in a variety of situations. It doesn't just have to be for, about strong emotions. It can also be about potentially further distilling out the aspects of the mutual purpose as you're talking. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. 
So the other part that can be interesting is watching for what the book calls the clever stories that we might tell ourselves. So there are three kinds of clever stories. Victim, it's not my fault. Villain, it's all your fault. And helpless, there's nothing else I can do. Rami, have you ever fallen into one of these? Oh, 100%. I think lately I've been mostly victim and helpless, which has been just awful. Uh, <laughs> I have I have something that one of my external partners is really delayed on getting to me. Mm. And so it's blocking a lot of things internally. And so my two approaches to it, it's out of my control. Like there's nothing I can actually do to make this thing happen. And so <laughs> that is so classic helpless. Like literally you just said the exact line. There's nothing else I can do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's true. Like I, I ask my external partner about it three times a week. I get the same answer that they're still working on it. Mm. So it's really, I would say it's also not my fault and there's nothing else I can do. <laughs> Okay, is, so, that, is that victim and helpless pretty good? Or? That is villain in that it is not... It, well, I guess, yeah, no, 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 you're right, victim. It's not my fault. So we want to turn victims into actors. So for Rami, in this case, it'd be good for you to explore, okay, what am I pretending not to notice about my role in this problem? Ooh, I should not be a part of any of this is <laughs> the problem with my role. So it's tough though, right? Like I have an external partner who I cannot get an answer from. Mm -hmm. And so if I can't get the answer, all I can do is continue to push on them to get it. So you, what's your role in that problem? Anything? Not, no. I mean, I've, I've even done what I need them to do for them twice now. Okay. So then let's go to the helpless story that you're telling about that there's nothing else I can do. So with the helpless, we want to turn them into the able by going back to the original motives, going all the way back up to the top of starting with heart and focusing on what do you really want for you, for others, for the relationship? And what would you do right now if you really wanted those results? No, for sure. Right. So for me, I want what they have not given me yet. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think both my internal team and the external teams want. And I think mm -hmm. it's putting a strain on the relationship between me and my external partners because I'm one, asking them for it at a very strong frequency, mm -hmm. and then also giving them suggestions on how to do the thing I need them to do. Mm -hmm. I've also escalated it within them as high as I can. And basically, everybody is telling me that there's nothing that can be done. What do you want for them? I want them to succeed by giving me this thing, and then we'll all succeed together. And there's what would you do right now if you really wanted that? Uh, that's a great question. I guess I could keep asking. Uh, like, I, it's hard when you have an external partner because you don't control them, right? And so you raise it up and then you raise it up to a point where they just go, yeah, we're working on it. Like, leave us alone. Hmm. Well, I mean, I don't know. You tell me. Should I continue to be victim and helpless? <laughs> how, how do I turn this around? I would generally, well, we just talked about how you turn it around. So turning victims into actors, turning villains into humans and turning the helpless into able. <laughs> and you kind of weaseled your way out of... Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> not being an actor and not being able a little bit. <laughs> it's pretty good, actually. So good I'll work. continue to be victim and helpless yep, yep. is uh, perfect. Great work. So don't be me, people, I guess. <laughs> okay. Let's, in the interest of time, let's move on. So the next principle that they offer is about stating your path. So this is really, to me, at a highest level after you've mastered your story, you basically share it. So you're sharing your facts. 
starting with the least controversial, most persuasive element, and then you're telling your story. So like, what meaning are you making out of the facts? There's other parts of this acronym, but I think like at a highest level, that's what you're doing there. I think the only other one that I'd call out in this stating your path is the importance of talking tentatively. So making sure that you are stating your story as just that. It is a story. Don't disguise it as a fact. There are many different ways to make stories out of the same set of facts. Yeah, I think that's really fair. So it's like, hey, here's the facts. Here's what this is kind of leading us to think. Mm -hmm. And here are some like potential solutions, but let's talk about how we kind of can align and make it an agreement that we make, Mm -hmm. not me telling you this is what we need to do. Yeah, which is a great segue into the next principle, second to last, which is about exploring others' paths. So even before you try to find a solve, just again, stating your own facts, your own story, and then asking for theirs and making sure that you are really focused on listening when you are giving them the opportunity to explore and share their own path. So when you're exploring others' paths, what are the what are the tips to like really dig into that? Yep. So in the book, they recommend a couple of powerful listening skills you can leverage. They give an acronym. Do you have a pretty useless acronym <laughs> that isn't even a word that you could give us? Oh, I would love to, Rami. I would love to. It's AMP in the book. A-M as in Mary. P-P. So first, ask. Start by simply expressing interest in their points of view. That's an easy one. Second is the M, mirroring. So increasing safety by respectfully acknowledging the emotions that they appear to be feeling. I use this in coaching a lot. (laughs) It's just coming up for me. Increase safety by respectfully acknowledging the emotions people appear to be feeling. So do do you say, hey, it sounds like you're really this emotion? Is that how you're doing that or what? You could. In coaching, I'm even more careful because I don't want to put a label on something. I want them to label it. So you might just say, uh, I'm noticing some feelings are coming up for you. How are you feeling? Would would you be specific and say, what emotion is that? You could, but it's not necessary. So you just kind of get them to open up is, is the real thing here. Yeah, yeah. You can. I would, I would look at it this way. This is maybe me putting my coach hat on too much. From uh, maybe from a business perspective, it's fine to say, hey, you seem angry. Can you tell me a little bit about that? In coaching, we would avoid naming it because we want to use the client's language at all at all possible points. We don't want to make assumptions. We don't want to put a declaration on how they're feeling because that might not be how they're feeling. And then you might piss them off more <laughs> by having stated a feeling and they're like, no, I'm not. Maybe they're crying and they're actually really angry. <laughs> And if you say, oh, you seem really sad right now, you could just piss them off more. Got it. Because they're like, I'm not sad. I'm pissed. Yeah. (laughs) Why aren't you with me on this? So mirroring. The first P is for paraphrasing. So just recalling back in a very paraphrased way what you heard them say. And then the last one is priming. And this one should really be used as little as possible. I think there's a reason why they put it last in the book. Uh, And priming is about taking your best guess. So this is kind of like mirroring but in the like, that's what i was gonna say like it feels like mirroring version. but like like a crappy version e- of it exactly exactly which is i think why they say it last so if they continue to hold back taking your best guess at what they might be thinking or feeling and then asking that sounds them. dangerous i would uh probably avoid that one yeah. so which one do you lean into what's your default listening paraphrasing. skill paraphrasing i am my paraphrasing is one of my super skills as a coach 
And that can be Interesting. really powerful for another person to hear their own thoughts. It can be really powerful. It sounds so simple and so basic, right? But so powerful. What about you? Yeah. No, I think for sure I'm going to ask. I mm. am perpetually curious about all things. And I think even when talking to people, that's my way of getting them to open up. And I, I lean heavily on my design thinking background, mm -hmm. which is to follow people down rabbit holes. Mm. And so continuing to ask and push and push and ask and open and push and that like that's me like at some points i'll paraphrase i'll do a little bit of that i i think I, I don't do a whole lot of mirroring but the ask i really genuinely intrigued by most things which i think when people are are intrigued or people see someone else is intrigued by them they like to open up more yeah and then the last principle is moving to action so this one is probably the most straightforward for us business folk. Make sure that you're deciding how to decide and you're finishing really clearly. What that looks like is making sure that you're clear on who does what by when and how you're going to follow up. Oh, I like that. Yep. Who does what by when. Mm -hmm. So Rami, we just talked about a lot of stuff. Yes, we did. Having not read this book before, what would you say are your like key highlights that you want to encourage people to think about? For me, the things that I'm going to take away, and I think the things that I encourage others to take away is, what do you want for yourself, for others, and for the relationship out of that conversation? And how do you behave and how do you set it up to achieve those? Yep. Understanding your own style is really important under stress. And I think it's how do you, how do you get yourself out of that stressful situation and have that conversation in a way that you know uh, will lead to those outcomes that you want. Mm -hmm. When I look at all of the seven principles and everything we kind of talked about, for me, it's really how do you set yourself up to succeed by knowing what success means? Well said. The only things I would add is that if all you do from this conversation is just learn to watch, keeping an eye out for when a conversation might be hitting crucial status, trust that that will be enough. Just by building that awareness, that alone will trigger I would assume, I'm not assuming like this is well-researched, will trigger a different response in you if you just notice it. So what's the, how, how do we know that a conversation is going to get crucial? So if we go back to the definition, so can we anticipate opposing opinions, strong emotions, and high stakes? Okay. So it's really when, oh, there's a high point of tension. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I would add like watching out again for the, styles under stress. So noticing in yourself, am I moving towards if you're already in it, noticing, whoa, am I moving towards silence or violence? Is the other person moving towards silence or violence? Just noticing it. Interesting. Okay, so if you're seeing silence or violence, it's probably space for a crucial conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that those are good triggers. So if you if you're telling someone something, and they go silent on you, then it's probably a good time to have a crucial conversation, but probably not right then. It's probably one of those things where you walk away, you come back, you prime it by deciding how you want to, what success looks like and, and give them the space to kind of warm up to it and think about it so that you can do that in a safe space as we kind of alluded to before. Yeah. And then is there any other like final takeaways? Let's leave it at that. We covered a lot. I think you, you hit we it. Did. Yeah. So Rami, what are we going to talk about next week? Oh, man, I am so excited. So being a perpetually curious person, I read one of the longest books I've ever read in my life. It was a biography on Leonardo da Vinci. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. by Walter Isaacson. It is a tome. I think that's the only way to define this book. Uh, and the thing that I want to talk about is how to be perpetually curious in a digitally connected world slash infusing your interests in everything that you do. I love. I can't wait. So that's what we'll talk about next week. Sweet. It's been real. I've I, well, it's been real and I've been Shannon. <laughs> and I've been Rami and this is uh, Workplace Hugs. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.